Hi, Tracy. It's Cheryl. Hi. Um, <laughs> um, I'm so glad that we can do this little phone chat today. And um, I want to start off by telling you I love the book. I thought it was really, really imaginative, really creative. You know, in mem- of course it's memoir, but, you know, um, you tied things together so beautifully, or shall I say threaded them together so beautifully. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you so very much. Um, so, um, obviously, this book is the thread that ties it all together is clothing, but I'm I'm curious what resonated with you. Uh, well, uh, you know, just uh, on a side note, the green apple shoes really resonated with me extremely well. But um, you know, that's in one of the stories. And I, what I loved was that you took a creative bend. And you know, I actually have some questions about this as well in terms of how you came to put this book together. You know, in this particular way. Um, but I think it was very creative to blend, you know, your costume background, your love of clothes, and um, your your wonderful ability to write about it all together in, in a way that uh, accommodated everything. I know when um, it's funny. I um, one of the things I do is I teach Pilates, and when I was starting that business. Um, you know, I also was an actress, and I also did Gracie Allen. So in my brochure, we had a whole Gracie George Burns rift about Pilates in a in a very Burns and Allen way. And it reminded me of how you sort of took where you came from to tell this memoir. So um, I I liked that creative aspect, you know. Well, I, I I appreciate that, and I think it is something that you know, when you come from one particular discipline and then you find yourself in another discipline is to make the connections, you know, for yourself so that you inspire yourself and you inspire the people that you work with. And um, for me, these pieces, I probably started writing years ago and they were in a way a kind of therapy to deal with the various situations. And probably the first story actually that I wrote was about the very premature birth of my daughter, Ruby. And anyway, over the, the years, I kind of accumulated some stories, but I couldn't really figure out how to put them together. And then I was in a writing class at UCLA and the teacher there had us, you know, in one sentence, describe your book, which is always terribly intimidating. And as I thought about that, I thought, well, maybe the connecting factor here is clothing and is my obsession with clothing and how that led to a career in costume design. And so maybe that's what I'll do. And then, of course, having decided that, you know, it was actually a little bit more difficult than I realized. Uh, and it did take me six years to write this book. Um, yeah. So, you know, you well, come- yeah, it, it came, it came across well, though. I, you know, it's very, you know, not excuse the pun, but it's pretty seamless, you know, um, it's, it's great how you put, you were able to put that together, you know, 
but I interrupted, so continue. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 just so that, you know, I mean, I think, you know, particularly with memoir, you don't always know what's going to happen, you know, and even though it seems like, oh, it's obvious you're writing about your life. Well, in a way, it's not so obvious because, you know, you're, you're trying to isolate incidents that you feel have meaning for you and that may possibly have meaning for other people. And it is a process. And also, I think one of the other things about writing memoir is that you're so familiar with the events that often in the first draft, you leave out chunks of information which other people who are reading it won't know. And so having to go back and put in more information and often put in more revealing stuff about yourself that you don't necessarily want to or feel comfortable with, it's, uh, it's a constant process. Um, now, I know that you do a lot of personal writing yourself, and how does that factor in with you? Well, no, I, I hear you on all of this. I think, you know, I think that writing, like dancing, and my background is dance, it's, it's a discipline. And I think the more you commit to the discipline of, of the writing, for example, it sort of vortexes you in to, to all of a sudden, it's like the floodgates eventually open up. It's, I feel the same way. At first, you know, it's almost tiring to write all those details about something you know and feel so acutely. You know, it's like it, it doesn't feel like you need to do that, but obviously for the reader you do. And once you start to get into, as one of my writing teachers talks about, um, the image moment, once you start getting into the details, it's it's for me it, it just opens everything up but definitely like exercise at first it's sort of I, I groan I groan a lot because it, it's hard to get the rhythm going but once I commit once I'm working on a story you know it starts coming together and my favorite part of 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 writing is actually the editing I like to get that first draft done that's the hardest for me and then going back and um, finessing it and cutting. I love cutting. <laughs> you know, just, so you know, but I, but it, you know, I, I know it's 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 a it's a it's it's something you have to really sort of sit with and allow all of the, I don't know, the writing demons to um, come and go. And as again, my writing teacher at this point, Jack Grape said, it's it's not that. We necessarily love the writing. It's we love that once we've written, you know, nobody necessarily <laughs> don't necessarily enjoy the writing. They enjoy when they're done with the writing and we've accomplished it. So, um, and I tend to agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's but, interesting what you say about the editing because in some ways that that I found almost more difficult because I would think, well, is this any better or is this any worse? You know, I sometimes I would feel that I would lose perspective and I felt that was something that I had to struggle with a bit to kind of maintain my own voice and yet at the same time know what needed to be done or, or rather it's that thing of, of knowing what's wrong but not knowing how to make it right. <laughs> that can well, be, I, I don't uh, know if it's 
do this, but one of the things that I definitely do is once I've finished a draft, I put it down and I don't look at it for a couple of days. And then I can go back and I have clearer eyes on what, you know, what I've, you know, said three times when it only needed to be, you know, um, said once or, you know, the sentence structure will change. And it's not so much the ideas that will disappear when I'm editing, um, but sometimes, and I do this when I talk, sometimes I say the same thing over and over and it's like, you know, as a writer, I can be a little bit more efficient than I am as a speaker. You know, I I I can edit myself in a way I wish I could sometimes when I'm talking. Um, so so that for me, that's where um, I like the editing, and also um, that's also when I I love when a sentence comes out of me that makes sense. So I can go when I go back. You know, and again, it's not so much the topic, it's about how I've written it. You know, that's Mm -hmm. what I like to, and um, again, I just like to be, I I, I wouldn't say my writing is sparse, but I do, if there's too much of the same thing, I I will cut it out. But I didn't didn't find that you were repeating yourself. Maybe a couple times you, uh, you mentioned something that was like in an earlier chapter, in a later chapter, very small something just almost a reminder but um i i thought i i thought it was um very well written and i you know i am telling you tracy it was so interesting and you know your your whole i mean you're you're growing up your you know your childhood was just i mean wow you know very very interesting and how how was it to grow up in, I mean, you know. Well, it was, you know, it was a, a complicated situation um, because yeah. both my parents were kind of larger-than-life people. Um, they were both writers. My father was a drama critic, and my mother was a novelist. And so they, and they were also um, very social, and there was a lot of going out and a lot of, socializing with famous people and you know in many ways growing up we were on completely different schedules because I was a little girl and I had to be up during the day and asleep at night and they were kind of asleep during the day (laughs) and out at night so in some ways our paths didn't really cross that much Um, but in other ways when they did cross, there was quite a lot going on. And so I think for me, it was trying to navigate that adult world as a child and trying to figure out where I belonged. And often what was required of me was to to be somewhat the caretaker or somewhat the adult with these two people that were a little bit out of control but at the same time, you know, I think there's humor in the book, and I think that's important because when all these dire things are going on and my mother's naked and my father's having affairs and whatever, there is humor involved. And I think that is true for a lot of people that grow up in extreme situations is that there are moments when you take a step back and you say, oh, my God, this is really ludicrous. And so I think that helps one get through it all. And I hope some of that humor comes through in the book. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, again, the book is extremely entertaining. You know, it's just, um, you know, I definitely identify. I mean, I didn't have colorful parents in that sense. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and my mother would have liked to have been a dancer, and my dad was in the shoe business, and before that in the grocery business. But, you know, it's also, there's something about, you know, how we raise our children now compared to back in the 50s and 60s, because um, I don't think parents had a clue about what they were doing. And I I mean, your parents were very different than mine, and, and mine didn't party quite so much. But they, you know, I didn't feel like I necessarily got what I needed growing up. There was a lot of just disconnect, you know. It was like food, shelter, and clothing, and you were good to go. Um, but what's interesting about having, I would assume, um, having the, you know, uh, childhood that you had is, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and also it just gives you such a a finesse for what you have and you've said you said that in your book quite a bit i believe you know you you also grew up and became an adult that you know knew the difference between being taken care of and not being taken care of and you know uh, when you were first with um your husband um Jim McBride you know i i sense you know you already cared about Jesse you know um when you had a chance to get closer to your um your siblings, your step-siblings that you were able to, or half-brother and half-sister, I mean, mm-hmm. or, you know, you you were there for them. I mean, I guess you continue to be a caretaker, but now in the right role as a parent and um, an older sister. Well, I, I, think, I think part of it is that, you know, our parents, the way they were brought up, you know, and they were sometimes clueless because the way they were brought up, they were very much kind of left to their own devices. And so they brought us up in a similar way. And so, you know, it's not entirely their fault. They were just doing what they were taught to do. And I think, you know, as the world has evolved, people have come to see that as maybe not the ideal way. I mean, so, you know, you try and improve on what your parents did and, you know, you're not always successful, but you do your best and at least to be aware of some of the pitfalls. And um, I think having a stepmother that, you know, didn't really quite know how to behave towards a stepchild. When I became a stepmother to Jesse, I was aware of some of those issues and I tried to improve on them. Now, at the same time, my husband, Jin, he was a really good father, and he always made it clear to Jesse that even though I was in, around and I was becoming, you know, part of the, the family, that Jesse always came first. And I think Jesse knew that and therefore wasn't as threatened by me as he could have been, you know, and so... There are all these adjustments that, you you know, that get to be made that you learn from your experience and you try and bring, you know. And also, I knew that I wasn't Jessie's mother and there was a mother and she was, you know, was a good mother. So I had a different role to play. And so it's that kind of balancing act to see how you fit into a family situation. But I, I think for me, I really did 
want to create my own family and have it be as nurturing a family as possible, you know, given the limitations that we all have as human beings. Um, so that was part well, of my, my, my I mantra, think, I get it because my mantra as a parent, you know, because I certainly um, uh, make mistakes. You know, I have an 18-year-old daughter, and, you know, my mantra is I'm doing the best <laughs> I can, and I try to stay as aware as possible. But, you know, we're all human, and we come from our parents. You know, I'm I'm mm-hmm. very um, – my mother is um, – she's a little edgy, and, you know, guess who inherited that? <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> – yeah. I'll never be yeah. Mother Teresa. It's just not going to happen. But, um, but, but I mean, there's a British. Parents, they, yes. So there's this British psychiatrist called Doctor Winnicott, and he had this philosophy that you were the good enough mother, and I really like that concept. You know, the, the idea that you you do the best you can, but there's an intention there to try and do that. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, with, you know, your parents bigger than life, I mean, you certainly got some interesting gifts from both of them. You know, I mean, you, you know, you're, well, first of all, I read um, The Dud Avocado before I even met you. Uh, it was recommended to me. I was going to France and I went to Book Soup and they said, you know, here's a good one. You know, so I read that. But she's, she was a, she, that was a delightful book. She's a wonderful writer. I mean, you have a gift from her with that, and the and both of them were so into um, their own unique style, and you certainly inherited that, you know, early on. And um, you know, our parents they give us gifts as well as you know whatever mm-hmm. else they give us. Absolutely, and and I think you know part of the thing is for me of having these dramatic, larger than life parents and everything is that that is another kind of form of almost addiction. You get used to that kind of level of drama. And when your life is a little bit more mundane, it's like, oh, it's not so interesting, you know. And you have to kind of fight that need to be constantly in high drama. And I think that was really my challenge in in my 20s was that because, you know, if things weren't really exciting and whatever, then I was like, oh, what's going on, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I know you do. And I think adrenaline. the whole, yeah, the adrenaline rush, absolutely. And, and also I think, you know, their obsession with celebrity was for me a really good cautionary tale. <laughs> and, you know, much as it's fun to meet famous people and all the rest of it, it can also be a little bit disappointing, you know, and you meet an actor that you've admired in stage and screen, and then you come to find out in real life they're not so great, and it takes away from that enjoyment of them as an actor. Um, So, you know, you have to kind of watch out with this stuff, and, you know, are you just going to an event because there'll be celebrities there, or are you going to the event for the event, you know? And I think all these things, you when you come from the kind of background that I come from, you, you consider a little differently, and it's not quite so obvious. Um, and particularly today in this era of Kardashians, et cetera, you know, there's such a sort of uh, 
attempt to sort of be celebrity adjacent, I call it, you know, (laughs) where celebrities have nothing, you know, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with artistry. If you're speaking about Mm -hmm. celebrity like the Kardashians, I mean, you know, um, yeah, I, you know, artists of any kind are so inspiring, but, you know, maybe, but what we're attracted to is their art, not necessarily their troubles. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and, and and certainly, you know, doing costume design and, and dealing with various actors and their foibles and, you know, it, it's definitely a, a, a steep learning curve and, you know, something that I had to, like, try and figure out of, you know, I mean, do I want to be this person's best friend? Is that, you know, what's required? Or do I just want to get the job done, you know? And there's a lot of temptation, you know, for, you know, people to become best friends with the actor or actress in order that they will get their next job. So, you know, you have to kind of figure out that balancing act again uh, because, you know, it's it's not always possible to 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 be the the best friend, the nanny, the shrink, all those things. And are you going to lose your own life in that? You know, what about your world? So, um, I think that was something that I had to navigate. Um, well, yeah, no. and and they seem to respect you because of that. I mean, one of my favorite parts of the book is the whole story with Genevieve Bujol when she. Mm-hmm. You had her in all the pinks, and then she, she just she got scared, and and um, you ran and got your own dress, and brought your own wardrobe, you know. And little by little, she started to trust the whole situation. So you did get your pinks in. Um. <laughs> and I, and I think that's a big issue for for a lot of actors is they are nervous and they are scared. And these days, you have less and less time with them. And, you know, before the actors would show up at the wardrobe department and they would be shown a group of sketches and then, you know, the director had approved them and you would proceed. I mean, now, you know, you may only get a couple of weeks with an actor, if that. And so obviously they're anxious and you're anxious and to try and gain that trust so that they know, look, you know, I'm trying to do the best for the film and for your role in the film and to make you look good if that's required, you know, it's sometimes it's difficult to communicate that in a short amount of time. Um, yeah. Yeah. I um some I have a hello for you from Rita Ryak, um, who Oh yes. And um, brilliant she was saying, designer yeah, well, she was to me, um, you know, sometimes you have to say, just just try it on just you know, let's just give it a shot. Just do it for me. Humor me. Right. Right. <laughs> and it, it is often like dealing with a child, you know. <laughs> you really are using the same cajoling that one might do to get a child to try a different food that they've never tried. Um, and, and and I feel for actors. They're very vulnerable, and particularly women in this world today where, you know, you're not allowed to be over 40 and you have to look young all the time and all this kind of stuff. The pressure's is greatly on them. So um, I, I get it. Um, 
One thing I wanted to talk about, Cheryl, is that you have taken your love of writing and all the various things that you do into this other realm, which is this organization that you put together out in the desert called Miltree. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, sure. You know, well, it's very interesting because um, <laughs> uh, our mutual friend Tyson Cornell um, gave me a bunch of books a long time ago of people that he was, you know, um, encouraging and, you know, um, doing PR for. And one of them was a book called The Lotus Eaters by Titania Soli, I think her name is. And I read this book, and it was about a photojournalist that um, got addicted to war. She was a Vietnam photojournalist, and she got PTSD right along with the rest of the um you know, the military men and women at that mm. time. And it struck me, I don't know, it just hit this weird chord in me. I, I really don't, I mean, since since I started this organization, I realized I do have military in my family, but I was never mm. that aware of that. So I read her book, and then I looked in her bibliography, and I ended up reading The Things We Carry by, um, oh, oh gosh, um, Tim O'Brien. And, mm-hmm. and then, of I said, read um, if you're interested in this, and that was a that was a um, kind of a memoir of being in the Vietnam War. It was a journal that um, mm. Tim O'Brien kept, and it's pretty famous. They read it in school now and everything. And um, and then my friend said, well, if you're interested in that, why don't you read War in the Soul by Dr. Ed Tick? It's you know, it's it's um, it's not fiction or memoir, but it's about how he dealt with um, military men and women from the Vietnam War um, with PTSD and how PTSD is more of a soul wound than, um, you know, a condition, I guess. And I don't mm-hmm. know, I was just removed by this book, and I had Ed come out and do, um, at that time it was called Red Arrow Reads. I host a, um, you know, I, I host um, novelists and um, authors and, memoirist uh, out in Joshua Tree, and he came and he spoke. He he did a reading, but he also did a community um, uh, meeting, and he said, you know, the way you help veterans return from the war is you you bring them into community. And so I thought, well, okay, I know this whole community. I've been out here for years. You know, the artists are all my friends. I have a spoken word event that I do every year called Desert Stories, which you know of since you were in it. Mm-hmm. Um and um, I just put an email out and said, who wants to help me start an organization that would bring veterans into community through through the arts, through dialogue, you know? Mm-hmm. And people signed up, people, you know, came. Some people went away, other people came. And Cheryl, later, how, how long ago was it? How long, uh, how long I, ago? That was did... 2012, I believe, he wow. came out there. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Miltree, I guess, was formed in 2012, and by 2013, it was a nonprofit. So, and, I mean, you know, we're still on a shoestring budget. It's ridiculous, but we get things done, and um, what we do is we create events for um, active military veterans, um, military families, and the community to all come together and partake in whatever event it is. We just got done, we just hosted um, with the High Desert Playhouse, uh, Christian Camargo, who is a 
stage and screen actor. Um, he was on Dexter. He was. Um, he's on Penny Dreadful. He's done Shakespeare on Broadway. He produces. He's quite wonderful and a very gifted teacher. And we we had um, like twenty people involved in this workshop, and there were <laughs> veterans, and there were their family members. It was and some community, and it was just amazing. So that's one example. And then we're about to be on our second grant where we'll bring mm-hmm. um, community veterans, active military, their families together, um, creating a dome where we will also we'll create this earth dome, and then there'll be inlays of metal uh, and ceramics. So there'll be workshops in all three arenas. So that's how we bring people together. And we also um, helped to sponsor the Soldier Heart Retreats. This is Ed Tick's, um, his nonprofit. So we also have retreats to bring veterans and um, and and um, regular community members together to, I hate to use the word, but healing, you know, so that there's some mm-hmm. closure, mm-hmm. healing. Bring our warriors home, in a sense. Um, and I, I think I it's for such a, go on, sorry. I was just going to say, I don't I just, even know how this happened. You know, I just fell into <laughs> it happily. <laughs> well, no, I, I, it, it, it so makes sense because I, you know, also have a place in Joshua Tree, and there we are near, you know, one of the biggest marine bases in the country. And we see in our daily lives, Marines do, you know, just in the stores and wherever. And, you know, the idea that we, that, you know, here are these people that have done these incredibly brave and difficult things and are returning home. And in any way that we can interact or be involved, I mean, I, I just think it's such a fantastic idea and you've done it in such a great way to pull in people from all different walks of life and to maintain something like this, I know, is incredibly hard. And so I, I, I just, I love the fact that you've created this, this place out there and it continues to grow and change and do different kinds of workshops. Um, and, and I think, you know, I think for all of us in the arts, there, you know, whenever we can do something which reaches out to people that are not necessarily in our circle, I think is, is such a beneficial thing. And um, for me, the sort of inciting incident was living downtown and being constantly amongst homeless people and seeing that world and that dilemma Um, and through fortuitous circumstances I hooked up with two women that had a group called the Glamour Project which goes around to various homeless shelters and rehabs and we kind of do a queen for a day thing where they get made up and styled and then they have a glamour shot taken of them and those glamour shots are sent to them a few weeks later. And so they have a different vision of themselves, you know, and, um, and it's, it's a great experience. I mean, even just the process of being taken care of and appreciated and even some of the women have never worn makeup or, you know, just to be see themselves transformed is, I think, you know, can be a, a helpful you know, tiny, tiny step towards feeling better about themselves. And then also, uh, and then some of, and and then some of them, 
you know, send photos to relatives who they haven't been in touch with for many years, you know, because they felt too ashamed of how they look and how they feel. And so a way for them to reconnect with their families. Um, and then this the social worker told me that some of the, the women, when they do eventually find a home or a place to live, you know, they'll take their portraits with them and they'll have them hanging there, you know. Um, and so I think any way as artists that we can reach out to people, you know, it's, it's just a win-win situation for, for both of us. You know, I know that you get yeah. a lot out of no, I, I get so much out of doing that. I, I mean, I really commend you for doing what you've been doing with them, and um, I love that. That was one of the last chapters in your book, and I really I really enjoyed hearing about that as well. And, um, you know, I was also curious on how you, um, the recycled clothing you mentioned as well, and I, I mean, I think that's, you know, how you're able to, take some things. I, I love that, first of all, through the whole book, how you are able to thrift and find things and, and, you know, reinvent them. But, you know, reinventing them for these women is just, it's a gift. And I, I think we're just, I, I, I don't mean to sound, you know, too crazy here, but I think spirit moves <laughs> us in certain ways that um, help us, you know, I, I it, the, the whole veteran thing came so left field. I just... I, I followed it because I was curious to see where it would take me, and it just keeps going, you know. Um, mm. So I'm sure, you know, it's fulfilling for you as well to work with the homeless and, and to make these women feel beautiful inside and out when they haven't felt that way for a long time. It's it's the give back of, of you know, of of not having to live that way and being artists and, you know, taking the art and it not just being gratuitous, but something that actually helps community. I, I think for myself, community is is really important, bringing community together. Um, L.A. is a big place, and for some reason, there's just too much too much here for me to be, you know, I never found my, um, my community necessarily in L.A. I've just got so many communities. I, I mean, if I start, you know, I, I was a dancer, I mm-hmm. teach Pilates, writer, um, I'm married, I'm a Buddhist, whatever. It's like there's too many communities. But in, in Joshua Tree, it's it's just such a welcoming community to be who you are so that for me it was easy to start anything out there, you know, um, and, and, and everybody welcomed Mill Tree so readily, you know, um, to and have helped me all along the way. So it's it's... It's been it's been wonderful to see where it goes and and I think when well all I know is when I was a dancer and I pushed and I pushed and I tried and I tried and I had an okay career but it wasn't anything you know to write home about I certainly never became a celebrity <laughs> but um, it it wasn't it never was about that career it was just a training ground and you know back to your book really you know all of what you went through from childhood all the way through it's just a training ground to be able to give back it's just we get to take those mm-hmm. gifts that we learn if they're painful or they're joyous and 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 reinvent them in a way that can help a community or two you know um i'm very well and also i th- 
that I have. No, I agree. And and I think, you know, the thing when I'm when we go to these rehab places and I you know, we're dealing with these women who, you know, many of them have been in and out of rehab a bazillion times and are struggling with their addictions, you know. I think about my mother and I think about, you know, how in a sense lucky she was that she did have a certain amount of money and support and was able to deal with her addictions and, and find and finally come clean. And, you know, how these other women, you know, are not so lucky and have had all these, you know, obstacles. And so, you know, it, it, it feels good to be uh, doing the tiny amount that one can to somehow help that path. And uh, it's, it's, it, it is, you know, whatever resonates with you um, to be able to give back in some way, I think, is, is pretty yeah. important. And- and when uh-huh. it's genuine and when it's when it does really resonate, you know, that's coming from a whole different place than the shoulds. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. No, and right. uh, no, I I I would have never thought that I would start, you know, um an organization that would try to welcome veterans back, um, given my background, but it <laughs> it resonated so I went with it and um mm-hmm. and it feels so much more genuine and so much more can be accomplished when when you're sort of in in that um in the flow so to speak mm-hmm. you know it mm-hmm. it's um it comes from a, a kind of a divine place you know that each one of mm-hmm. us has and you know it, it is really something that um what spoke to you was you know um, glamorizing these women that had, you know, addictions and everything. And you're right, you know, of course that resonated with given what your mom went through, you know, and she was lucky, but she was in pain. And here's a way for you to give back to these women and help them to be out of a certain amount of pain, too. It's just, it's a really lovely full circle, you know. Um, well, so, thank you, thank you. Yeah, and we do the best we can. Mm-hmm. Back to the <laughs> We do. <laughs> we do. We but I do. have to, I have to tell you a couple of things. First of all, um, my husband Brian used to shop at um, Clan. Oh no, I, I Clapton and Frampton. Yes, I always want to call it Clampton and Frampton, but anyway, Clapton <laughs> and Frampton still goes to Douglas Fir. And the other <laughs> funny thing in the book that just cracked me up is that we know Carla Carbalbo as well, because oh. um, your old friend, she's a food stylist. Yeah. Or was a yeah, stylist. Yeah. My husband yeah. is a food photographer, and he did a whole Bon Appetit shoot with her in Italy. And then when we went over oh. to Italy, um, we got to have lunch with her in Siena. So and that was really oh. fun to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it, there's only you know whatever six degrees of separation, and uh, yeah. you know, it, it's great when these things cross over. Well, Cheryl, it's really been great to talk with you, and um, I'm looking forward to our event in Joshua Tree yes, uh, at um, the end of the month. Yes, yes August 27th at the station. Yeah, yeah I am too. Yes. I'm, I'm very excited, and you know, um, I, you know, I also just want to mention that you know the the um, the piece in the book that is about your, you know, the call you got on your way to the retreat, you know, I, mm-hmm. you know, I remember when you did that for Desert Stories, which is, 
the annual um, spoken word thing I do out there, and I um, I really love that chapter too. I mean, it well done, yeah. Tracy. This was a wonderful. Yeah, well, it was a to read, honestly. So. No. Well, thank you so much, yeah. Cheryl. Okay. All right. Take care.